Well, here we are at the end of the summer. And bears are the final animal in our Going Wild series on what the animal stories in the Bible can teach us. In our previous messages, I have taken an animal and then connected all the many Bible stories about that animal into one message. And today, I'm going to flip that. I'm going to take one Bible story about one animal and then make it into many messages. Well, actually, just three. But three little mini-sermons. And the strip scripture is, is quite short. It's 2 Kings 2, verses 23, 24, and 25. Elisha and the bears. Here's how it goes. Elisha left Jericho and went to, up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, a group of boys from town began mocking and making fun of him. Go away, Baldy, they chanted. Go away, Baldy. Elisha turned around and looked at them, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. And from there, Elisha went to Mount Carmel and finally returned to Samaria. Now, mini-sermon number one. Poking the bear. Notice I said bear because I'm not talking about the, the two mama bears right now. The bears that I'm talking about and the poking that I'm talking about is what those boys did to Elisha. They poked the bear. You've heard that expression before, haven't you? It means to intentionally make somebody angry or upset or offended, especially somebody who's more powerful than you. Now, the scene is familiar. There's a bunch of teens. They've gathered. They're hanging around. And they see an older man coming along. And they begin to tease him and, and vaguely threaten him. Get out of here, Baldy. Go away, Baldy. You're not wanted here. We would call it bullying. Bullying is is unwanted, aggressive behavior, and, and it's usually connected to, to people like these boys, to school-aged children. Bullying includes things like name-calling, like calling somebody baldy, or implied threats, or spreading lies about somebody, or tripping them, or, or pushing them, or, or messing around with their things, like taking someone's backpack and playing keep-away. And recent studies have shown that about one of every five middle school and high school kids was bullied in school last school year. Now, I hope this year will be better, but that's the facts. The main kind of bullying is name-calling and teasing and spreading lies about someone else. And an equal number of, of these teens have been bullied online through social media or through texts. And that's a scary number because bullying has long-term consequences for one's mental health and school success and happiness. And what's just as scary is that 16%, that is one out of every six teens, have admitted to bullying others. That's a frightening number. One out of every six. One of the things that often contributes to bullying is 
a real or perceived power imbalance, whether it's the proverbial senior bully picking on the little freshman, or the power imbalance that popular mean girls have in the social order, or the power of just sheer numbers, like in Elisha's case. I doubt that any one of those kids alone would have insulted Elisha and told him to get out of there. But when there's at least 42 of them together, well, they're emboldened by their numbers. But someone should have told them not to poke the bear. Because Elisha didn't take kindly to being called baldy or being told to leave. And he curses them out. Worse yet, he calls down God's divine punishment upon these little bullies. And to the delight of everyone who has ever been bullied, these kids get their butts whipped by two mama bears. And we want to cheer, don't we? We love it when justice is meted out right in front of our eyes, when the bullies get their due. Whether that be the schoolyard bully or the office bully or the neighborhood bully, or even the the national leader who's trying to bully other countries around. Those dictators that we see so often, the grand version of the schoolyard bully. We love it when bad guys get their comeuppance. Because God doesn't like it when people are bullied. He really doesn't. You poke the bear, you pay the price. So don't poke the bear. Treat others kindly. Don't bully others. That's message number one today. And that's probably the first thing you noticed when you heard this scripture being read, when you heard about the bears. It's a lesson in not bullying. But let's read it again from a different angle. Same text. Elijah left Jericho and went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, a group of boys from the town began mocking and making fun of him. Go away, Baldy, they chanted. Go away, Baldy. Elisha turned around and looked at them, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. From there, Elisha went to Mount Carmel and finally returned to Samaria. What in the world is Elisha thinking? He's a man of God, a God of mercy, forgiveness, and love. I mean, 42 kids mauled? I mean, I don't care what they called him. You can't justify that. So what do we make of a story where God's prophets seem so over-the-top vindictive? What do we do in situations where God's people act ungodly? Sadly, that's not confined to the stories in the Bible. I mean, you can just look at the headlines today and you, you'll see it all over. Priests charged with molesting teens. Christian celebrity caught cheating. Church leader starts barroom brawl. I mean, you can just see it over and over again in the news. So what do you do? What do you do with stories of God's people acting ungodly? Do you blame God? Do you make excuses for them? Do you give up on Christianity? You know, one of the top four reasons that people quit church and give up on God is the mean ways that other Christians have treated them. 
couple of weeks ago, I was on a tour of Native American sites <clears throat> around Fort Snelling State Park. And when the fort was established in the early 1800s, the inhabitants of this area were the Dakota people. Our county is even named after them. And Christians' missionaries have been coming to Minnesota since the 1600s, about the same time as the Ojibwe moved into Minnesota. Now, you might recognize some of these missionaries' names, like Marquette, Hennepin, Gideon Pond, Bishop Whipple, Lucian Galtier, who was responsible for naming the city St. Paul instead of its formerly, formal, formerly known name as Pig's Eye. So you can thank uh, Galtier for that. He, he also established the first Catholic church in Minnesota, which we stopped at on the tour that I was on. It's St. Peter's Church in Mendota, or as the Dakota called the area, Bedote. Now, agree or disagree with their methods, these early missionaries were generally concerned with the spiritual and physical well-being of the people they ministered with. And relations were actually fairly good back then, or so said our Dakota tour guide. But as more settlers poured into the state and more and more land was signed over to the U.S. government, conflict arose. Broken promises, corrupt Indian agents, hunger, poverty, and humiliation, all of this led some of the Dakota people to rise up in war against the settlers, killing hundreds and capturing many women and children. The government responded with a military force and what's sometimes called the Dakota War of 1862 took place. My own relatives were some of those settlers who were living in fear and terror during those times. It's hard to imagine how they felt. Whole towns emptied out as people fled in fear and many Minnesotans went from supporting Christian missions to the Dakota to wanting the Dakota people exterminated. And when the Dakota lost the war, the largest mass execution in U.S. history took place in Mankato on the day after Christmas in 1862. And the non-combatants, the Dakota women and children and elderly, they were rounded up and forcibly marched through the cold to the river bottom below Fort Snelling, where they were put in for want of a, of a better word, what would be called a concentration camp. The cold winter and the hunger and the disease killed as many as 300 of the 1,600 Dakota who were held there. And in the spring, those who, dis, who survived were put on riverboats, sent down the Mississippi, and exiled to reservations in South Dakota. And that's where one of our tour guides grew up. Dr. Kelly's great-great-great-great-grandmother was one of those Dakota women who suffered through that long walk and deadly winter, who was banished from her home by people who called themselves Christians and built churches like St. Peter's. And one would think that with a family story like that, that Dr. Kelly would hate Christians and be turned off to the Bible. But Dr. Kelly is actually a Lutheran theologian who teaches at Augsburg. 
She recognizes the terrible things that some Christians have done. But she also knows that that's not the way of Jesus. And she uses her story and her experiences to help bring about reconciliation and healing. She lives her life as an example to others of the godly way of forgiveness and mercy and love. And so what do we do when God's people act ungodly? Do you blame God? No. Do you make excuses for them? No. You use it as an opportunity to show the world a different way, the way of Jesus, who said in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So that's message number two. So let's go one more time through the story. Elisha left Jericho and went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, a group of boys from the town began mocking and making fun of him. Go away, Baldy, they chanted. Go away, Baldy. Elisha turned around and looked at them, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. And from there, Elisha went to Mount Carmel and finally returned to Samaria. You ever heard the saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me? Well, if you've ever said it, you know that it's a lie. Words do hurt. Elisha, in his anger, curses those boys, but it's more than just swear words. He's actually wanting God to hurt them. And he's calling down God to do something to hurt these boys. And they are hurt. Mauled, 42 of them, by a couple of mama bears. So while we may pretend that that words don't hurt, that words don't have consequences, the Bible knows that they do. And you know it too. Words have power. So watch what you say. Watch what you say. Think of maybe the worst word that anybody ever called you. A word, perhaps it was when you were a child and somebody called you a name that stuck with you and you've never been able to really shake it. Maybe they called you fatty or chicken or butthead or lard ass or nerd or psycho or wimp or retard or bitch or dork or dweeb. I mean, we can think of all those names and they're not nice names. Or if your tormentors were more into classic insults, maybe they called you a lick lick spittle, which uh, means someone who's a suck-up, a a bootlicker, a lick spittle. Or perhaps they called you a ninny hammer, which is a fool, an idiot. Or my personal favorite, a snollygoster. (laughs) A snollygoster is a politician who puts getting elected above party platform or principle. Someone who will do anything to get reelected. And no one wants to be called a snollygoster. See, words can hurt. But words can also heal. So what if Elisha had spoken kindly to those boys? Might there have been a different conclusion to that story? Or what if Elisha had chosen to say nothing at all? To simply ignore their teasing 
and instead of cussing them out and wishing harm upon them, had just gone on his way. We don't really know. But we do know that words can hurt and words can heal. So watch what we say. I know it feels great to, to swear at somebody who has, has uh, called you a name, maybe even wish them harm, but it's not the way of Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, he sends his disciples into a Samaritan village, and instead of, of welcoming Jesus and his party, the, the village treats them unkindly. The people don't welcome them, and the disciples are upset. They're so upset that they want to do something about it. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? It's a little bit of an overreaction, but so is two mama bears. Lord, should we call down fire from heaven? These people aren't welcoming us. Surely they should all burn. But listen to what Jesus says. Why do we don't even know exactly what he says? The next verse simply says, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. In other words, Jesus says, no, that's not the way that we do it. Don't use your words to hurt, even if they deserve it. That's the message. The Apostle James tells us in the third chapter of his letter, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This should not be. Watch what you say. Words can hurt. Peter, he says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Watch what you say, because words can hurt. But they also can heal, and in Proverbs we, we find some of that. Proverbs 25 says, The right word at the right time is like precious gold set in silver. And Proverbs 16 says, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And Ephesians 4.29 puts it simply, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Watch what you say. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can hurt us, and they can heal. So speak healing words. That's message number three. So there you have it. Three lessons from one little bear story. Did you doubt it could be done? <laughs> okay, lesson number one, don't poke the bear, don't be a bully. Lesson number two, when God's people act ungodly, don't blame God and don't make excuses for them. Show the world a better way, the way of Jesus. And finally, watch what you say. Words can hurt, but they also can heal. So speak healing words instead. Now, there are more bear stories in the Bible, 
And there are more animals than we could ever look at in a summer. So you're just going to have to go read those stories yourself. Because next week, we are moving on to our fall series. And if you like children's books, you're not going to want to miss next week and the rest of the messages this fall. Because it's going to be a great time to dive into to some of the children's books and what the good book has to say about the things in life addressed by those little kids' books. So that's next week. So today we wrap it up, and let's wrap it up with prayer. Jesus, we thank you for all the lessons of scriptures. You teach us not only in the, the big stories of kings and prophets, of disciples, but you, you teach us even through stories of bears and sheep, of dogs and donkeys. Lord, help us to learn all your lessons. Help us to cherish your word and apply it to our hearts, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Lord, we pray for all the kids going back to school this week. We pray that those who have been bullied might be able to go with confidence, trusting in your care. And we pray for those who have been bullies that they might see a better way and they might speak words that heal rather than hurt. Lord, that happens not only in school, but it happens everywhere in the world. And so we pray, Lord, for protection from bullies everywhere. And we pray that we might not be one of those bullies, but instead be one who speaks words of hope, love, and peace in your name.